Good worship this morning. So good to be back. I missed you guys a lot last week. As you, some of you know, maybe, maybe you don't know that um, I was privileged to go uh, to New Orleans this last week to go to the Southern Baptist Convention for the very first time in my life. I have to tell you that, you know, I did not grow up Southern Baptist. Um, I've been many things, non-denominational, evangelical, free, lost as lost can be. And um, I got to say, it was quite the experience to go down to New Orleans, first of all, which, by the way, we all came to a consensus, all of us who were there from the Calvary family. Yes, first of all, my wife reminded me once again that I forgot. The kids are free to go. I have got to get good at this. Okay, kids are free to go. Thank you. So anyway, uh, we all came to a consensus that um, New Orleans is not really a place I ever want to go back to again. This is the second time I've been, and I was 19 when I went the first time, uh, much different mindset than I had this time, and I really do not need to go back to New Orleans again. It's a lovely town, but not for me. And uh, but anyway, going to, the, going to the conference was quite an eye-opening experience, I have to say. Uh, there were like, what, 19, almost 19,000 people who were there. And there were almost 13,000 of them were messengers or people who were sent by their churches to vote on various resolutions. But as Dennis and I have talked over this, at, over dinner, um, one of the things that was the most exciting thing for me personally was the the commissioning of International Mission Board, the IMB missionaries. We have a picture of one of them. So you can see in the foreground there, there was a lot of people there. And we had 79 missionaries that were commissioned to go overseas. And the vast majority of them, I would say at least 80% of them, were going to closed countries. And so we can't see their faces because we can't know who they are. They can't be identified because of where they're going. And I have to tell you, that was, that was quite moving for me to have 19,000 people praying over these 79 missionaries who are leaving everything that they know to go to a place that they don't know, to serve Christ and to bring the good news to a place that so desperately needs it. And what a privilege it was to be there for that. There are many other things that happened there that we can talk about, but that's the one thing I wanted to share with you is, uh, is this particular moving moment. The lasted probably for a good hour, it seemed like. It was a long time. I mean, 79 missionaries individually given a little synopsis of their story and where they're going and why they're going and what God did in their life. It was, it was quite moving. Which brings us to the passage that we have this morning in Galatians, in chapter 6, starting in verse 11 through the end of the book, in verse 18. And as we think of this, you know, we think of, we think of them, we think of those people who are going overseas and giving their entire life, everything that they know, everything that they have, to serve the Lord. And we think of Paul. Paul may be the, may be the greatest missionary of all time. But maybe not just a missionary, Paul was also a great pastor and a great shepherd. And as he wrote this letter that we have gone through for the last several months, 
in his heart for his people. And as we know that this is one of Paul's first letters that he wrote, and he was a little bit harsh in parts of it. And as you read the sister book in Romans, where he does a little bit more explaining, he's a little bit less angry, it seems like. But Paul's heart was not, not to point fingers or to be angry at people. It was his heart that people would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. He really, he really didn't want people to spend eternity in hell. He wanted them to understand who Jesus was and who Jesus is for them and why he died for them. And so as we look at our passage this morning and we look at what, what God has to say through Paul to us and how he kind of wraps this whole thing up, he also has some things in here that are new to us that we'll see as we go through it together. But let's take a moment and we'll read Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 11 through verse 18, and then we'll start digging into this passage this morning. Starting in verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, again, come before you, Lord, now in the study of your word in this great book of Galatians, Lord. We are thankful, Lord, for your word. We're thankful for the ability to come and worship you through the study of it. Lord, I pray this morning that as you drive, drive us through the end of this great letter of Paul to the Galatians, Lord, that you would help us to see even more about you. Lord, that we would understand what this letter was about as we put our series to a close this morning. Lord, thank you again for this day. I pray, God, that you would speak through me and you would open our hearts, Lord, in our minds to hear what it is that you have to say and write your words upon them. And just praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first, the first section that we're going to look at, we're just going to look at the first verse, six, verse uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Let's look at that right now really quick and just reread that. And Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And you know, it seems kind of odd. But yet, if you've read Paul in the Bible, you know that he does this from time to time. Paul wants the Galatians to understand the importance of what he is about to say at the end of this letter. And it was so important to him that they get it, and they understood that it was he who said it that he wanted to emphasize it by writing this section himself. Now, if you know anything about Paul, Paul used scribes, or what's known as an amanuensis, someone who writes as someone dictates to them. 
someone who may be a professional who can write on the papyri with the precision that the Greek alphabet requires. But now Paul himself takes the pen. And even though he himself may not be an expert at penmanship in the Greek language, takes it to write himself. And honestly, this is very, very powerful. And this is what he says. We start in verses 12 through 13. He says that these people, really, that are trying to take you away from Christ, they're really only interested in themselves. They're not interested in you. He says, starting in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Throughout Galatians, Paul is warning and he's rebuking these churches to be wary of those who come and try to add works to the true gospel message. Remember how he started his letter back in chapter 6, or verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, starting in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, and I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He is very clear. These Judaizers, these false prophets have come in and they have tried to pollute the message of hope in Christ alone by adding works to it. In this case, the Judaizers wanted to add circumcision to the true gospel. And Paul becomes angry. He says, let those who preach a false gospel be accursed. And if they didn't get it the first time, he repeated himself. But now in this passage here in chapter 6, he goes a step further in verses 12 and 13. Now he adds what the true motive is of these Judaizers to the equation. And it is their motive that makes their false gospel even more sinister than what we could even imagine. Paul points out two motivations for these Judaizers of their own character. The first one is this. So they can protect themselves. And the second one is so they can protect, or so they can pat themselves on the back. So we look at the first one. They were protecting themselves from what? They were protecting themselves from the persecution of the cross. These Judaizers, these false teachers, knew that if they stayed with the true gospel of Christ alone, bringing salvation, and not keeping the Jewish law, they would be beaten and persecuted, mocked and jailed, just like Paul. The Judaizers were actual people pleasers. And Jesus promised those who follow him will find trouble. We are not to escape 
trouble. Trouble is part of our life in Christ. In John 16, 32-33, Jesus explains it this way to his disciples. Right before he's arrested. Right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus himself faced persecution and loneliness. He predicted his disciples would scatter and leave him, which they did immediately after he was arrested. And then Jesus faced a mock trial and was hung on the cross. That horrifying symbol of Roman torture. He told his disciples that they would face trouble and opposition in their lives just like he did. Tribulation and suffering. But to take heart, since Jesus overcame the world, so would they overcome. Paul himself faced persecution and beatings, prison and isolation. Paul knew what it meant to be a true follower of Jesus, and he paid the price for it. A price these Judaizers were not willing to pay. They were too interested in their own welfare. So interested in in their own welfare, that they were willing to compromise their message to please those who had sent them to the Galatians. But then there's a question for us. Will we be willing to stand for the Gospel ourselves? Are we willing to pay the price, even if it means we will suffer for the sake of the Gospel? Is Jesus all you need? We talked about this a few weeks ago early in the series. Is Jesus enough? If everything else were taken away and you were left with nothing but Jesus, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? What if you went to heaven and found it completely empty except for Jesus? No family or friends. No golden streets. Nothing but Jesus. Would that be enough? Would that be enough? The missionaries I watched be commissioned to go overseas, especially the ones who are going to the hardest places on earth where the gospel of Jesus, the good news is not welcome, but sometimes violently opposed, said yes, Jesus is enough. He alone is sufficient. I stand with Him. I will not compromise no matter what. But what about us? And I can't answer that question for you. But for my own sake, I'd like to say yes. We didn't compromise at Fort Lyon, and we were told not to come back and teach. There is a price to pay for following Jesus. Are we willing to pay it for His glory? You don't have to go to a closed country as a missionary to face opposition. You can face it from family and friends. Following Jesus may cost you relationships with people you love. It is not an easy truth to hear. 
that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. I know that. Paul knew that. The Galatians now know that. But it is true. The time in this country where being a Christian that was looked upon with favor has passed. It has passed. It is now looked upon in a lot of places in disdain. Sometimes even in anger if you are found to be a Christian. We are called unloving and closed-minded when all we're doing is bringing God's truth in Christ to them. The hope of forgiveness and reconciliation and salvation through that old rugged cross where Jesus hung for us. Paul is teaching the Galatians and, and also us through them that it is not the messenger the world hates, but the message. It is not us the world calls closed-minded and hateful. It is the cross that offends them. It is the cross that offends them. To preach the cross is to bring opposition. Can we stand up for it even when it's unpopular? The Judaizers said no, and they compromised. But I say, don't listen to the false teachers who tell you that there is another way. There isn't another way. Our salvation runs through the cross of Christ alone. And then the second point, that they were, they were not really moved by, by helping the Galatians. They were only out to pad their own stat sheet. Verse 13 says, For even those who circumcise do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The Judaizers were not following their own message. They were pressuring the Galatians to follow the law of Moses, even though they themselves were not following it. What hypocrites they are. They spoke with forked tongues. Jesus warned us of false prophets in Matthew 7.15. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They come looking safe, harmless, like a petting zoo animal. And then when you get closer, they try to bite your face off. They want to take you down into the pit with them. These false prophets were only out for their own gain, much like the prosperity preachers today who promise the blessing of the Lord if you just send them some money so they can fill their own bank accounts at your expense. They don't care if you receive a blessing. They only care about their own material needs. And even if these false teachers come with pure motives, which is impossible, under the delusion that by trying to keep the law that they can somehow gain the favor of God and achieve their own salvation, they're in for a rude awakening one day. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, Jesus says, 
I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why would Jesus say that? They will find that one day their works did not gain the favor of God. They will be cast away. But then we say, well, wait, why? Didn't they do great things for the Lord? But this is what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, if we come to the Lord with a basket full of works, but our heart is empty of Christ and His Spirit, it doesn't matter how many things we bring to Him. The only thing that matters is what's in your heart. Is your life transformed in Him? Faith in Christ is a gift given to us by the Lord. It is the only way that we can be justified to stand before Him and be found not guilty. We are found not guilty not because of our own works. Our works are like filthy rags. We are justified and found not guilty because of what Jesus did by hanging on a tree for us. That Jesus became a curse for us and He took the wrath that we deserve upon Him. The innocent one who became sin for us by the will of His Father that He bled and died on that instrument of torture so we wouldn't have to. Where is your hope placed? In your own works that are worth nothing before the Lord? Or in Christ Jesus who gave His life for you? That if we place our faith and trust in Him alone, that is where we find our hope. One scholar put it this way, it's like taking all of your money and possessions you have in the bank and placing them in the hands of Jesus and say, I fully trust you with them. Take them. They are in your hands now. I want nothing to do with them. But I say, it is much more than that. It is much more than that. It is surrendering your will for His will. It is laying down your life before Him and accepting the life Jesus has for you and trusting Him with it. Even the suffering that may come with it. Titus 1-2 tells us that we serve a God who never lies. And this is so important because if God never lies and cannot lie because He is good all the time, this means that all of the promises in the Bible are true. And He is bound by His Word to keep them. Meaning that we can place our faith and trust in them, His promises, because they are true. And I have to tell myself this almost every day when I wake up. I need to be reminded of it all the time. And so I say, place your trust in Jesus and the promise of forgiveness and reconciliation with your holy and righteous Lord. Surrender yourself to His Lordship that will bring you eternal life. There is no other way. 
So as we turn back to the Judaizers and their motives, as Paul points out at the end of verse 13, they are only interested in their own glory, not the glory of the Lord on high. If you're familiar with your Bible, you, remember, you may remember 1 Samuel 18, 20-29. And you remember that David was in love with Saul's daughter, Michal. David wanted Saul to set the price that he would have to pay for the right to marry Michal. And Saul placed the price at 100 foreskins from the Philistines. It's kind of a weird story, but go with me on it. David then went out and he killed 200 Philistines to gain the favor of Saul and receive the right to marry Michal. And even though David was and even though David was given Michal to marry, he never received the full favor of Saul. <coughs> Excuse me. Saul still feared David, and Saul was David's arch enemy. These foreskins that the Judaizers are collecting, they're not to get the favor of the Lord either, no matter how many they collect. Because the Judaizers have missed the point completely. These circumcisions of these Gentile Galatians don't matter. You see, we too, and I was thinking about this as I was writing this message, we as gospel-believing pastors and leaders, we must be careful too because sometimes, sometimes we elevate our own stats, our attendance, how many baptisms we perform, how many people said the sinner's prayer. We want our churches to look good, to stack up to others, so we inflate our stats maybe just a little so that we can make ourselves look good. But God will have none of that. And we need to be careful of that too. Because it's not about us. It's about Christ. And Christ alone. Paul then proclaims that if we're going to boast, then we're to boast only in the cross of Christ. In verses 14-16. through 16. Theologian Timothy George wrote this regarding what to choose to boast in. He says, Paul, however when he chose, chose something utterly despicable, contemptible, and valueless as the basis of his own boasting, the cross of Christ. You see, the cross itself is worth nothing. It has no value. No more value than two railroad ties. The cross by itself is nothing. But what gives it value is who hung on it. The King of Kings, the Lord of, our, of Lords, our High Priest, the highest prophet, Jesus Christ. The value is in the person of Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain. Paul then exhorts us to hear what is important and what is not important and the blessing of those who follow his teaching receive. He says, if you boast, boast only in the cross of Jesus. Starting in verse 14, he says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, 
nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for us, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul knew from his very own experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 that Christ alone is Lord because Paul was a Pharisee, an expert in the law. He knew what it was like to persecute Christians and see them suffer at his hand. He did all of this thinking he was protecting God from blaspheming Christ's followers. And after his encounter with Jesus, he became so adamant about putting his hope and trust in Christ alone and not in his own works because he lived it in his own life and Jesus revealed the truth to him. He saw how futile it was to try and earn the favor of God. And Paul revealed this in Galatians 3.23. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Because as we saw in our study that the law was to show us the pit of our sin. It held the Galatians captive. It holds us captive until Christ came. It was a prison. Then Paul said in verse 25 through 27, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Because of Christ, the Galatians are free. And now that we have been blessed with the gift of faith by the Lord, we can be released from our own chains, of our own prison, and suppression of our own sin, and put on Christ and receive the freedom promised us by our God by placing our faith and trust solely in Him and in Him alone. As we talked about earlier in this series, the only thing that we bring to the gospel message is our sin. Nothing else. Paul knew that there was nothing else to boast about other than his Lord and Savior and the cross that he was crucified on. Through the cross, Paul was crucified from the world and the world was crucified from Paul. Paul saw the value of the cross because, because of the man who hung on it bleeding for his sins. Paul knew Jesus was the Messiah the Old Testament prophets spoke about because, Paul, or because Christ revealed himself to Paul that day on the road to Damascus. Pastor and theologian John Stott writes this in his great book, The Cross of Christ, that there are four considerations to remember about the, cro the cross in our lives. The first one is the cross is the grounds of our justification. The second, the cross is the means of our sanctification. Third, the cross is the subject of our witness. And the fourth, the cross is the subject of our boasting. We'll look at these individually, starting with the first one. It is the grounds of our justification because, because it has rescued us, as Paul stated in Galatians 1.7. The cross delivered us from the law, as he said in Galatians 3.13. And second, it, it is the means of our sanctification because, as John Stott points out, we have been crucified 
with Christ. We have crucified our fallen nature. And we have been crucified from the world and the world from us. The cross has crucified us from those three things. And the third one is it is the means of our witness because it is the story of the cross and Christ's crucifixion that we are to share with those that we come in contact with. It is the hope we tell the world. <clears throat> it is offensive. But it is the only way to salvation. We are commanded to share this good news. We are not to back down. But we are to present this cross in love as a witness to the love that Jesus showed by keeping himself on that symbol of torture. Fourth, it is the object of our boasting because it is the glory of Jesus and the glory of his Father. We cannot boast about ourselves. We are sinners. We must boast in Jesus alone. As Paul writes in verse 15, it, it isn't whether we are circumcised or not that matters, but that our lives have been truly transformed in Christ's image. Verse 15, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul writes in Galatians 2.19, as we looked at a few weeks ago, that he died to the law so that he could live to God. And then in verse 20-21, through 21, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul recognizes that he himself has been crucified, and his old self before Christ is now dead. It is gone. Now the life he lives, he lives in faith in Christ alone. He lives us out by faithfully following God's call in his life as a missionary and a church planting pastor to the Gentiles and to the Jews. But what about the rest of us? What about the rest of us who are not called like Paul to travel the world for Jesus and plant churches? What about us dads and moms? What about us retired people? What about us in the trades? What about those of us who own businesses or have a high-level job? What about us? How can we live our lives in obedience to the call to be mission-minded. Moms and dads, hear this. You have kids to raise. And your job is to share Christ with them. You are to disciple them and teach them in the way that they should go. Teach them about Christ day and night when they are young and they listen to you. I can assure you that when they get older, and you wait, they don't listen quite as well. And it becomes more difficult. Those of us who are employed outside our homes, we have a mission field at our place of employment. When was the last time that you invited someone from work to come to church with you? Or to have coffee and share your testimony with them? When was the last time that you prayed for your coworkers? 
<clears throat> or sent them a note of encouragement. You see, we can get hung up on our vocation. We think in order to be in the ministry, we need to be vocationally in the ministry. But that is so untrue. God has placed you where you are and gifted you as you are to be His witness right there. True, maybe someday He will call you into full-time Christian work. But in the meantime, you're to be obedient right where you are. Use your gifting right where you are. Those people are just as lost as they are in Ethiopia. And they need the Gospel message. <clears throat> you are a new creation made in the image of our Savior. And He has uniquely gifted you to do His work. So be encouraged. Be obedient. And also be patient. And find your joy in the small things. We must know and we must believe that God is at work even when it seems like He isn't. He said He is, and as we've already looked at, He doesn't lie. So stay active in prayer and spend regular time in His Word and seek His will and share your faith. Next week, as we start a new series, we'll talk more about God's Word, and I look forward to sharing that with you. But in the meantime, take what Paul says here in Galatians and put it to use this week. And then as Paul says in verse 16, for, as, for all of you who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What Paul is saying here is this. Those of us who live our lives in faith believe these three things. <clears throat> One is that our salvation is in Christ alone. And two, that our works do not earn God's favor. And three, that what matters to God is that our lives have been transformed by the gospel of Christ. That we are now a new creation born in His image, filled with the Holy Spirit. If we walk by, in faith by these three things, God will place His mercy and grace upon us. But remember, this is not works-based. This is an outflowing of our salvation that we find in Christ alone. We will be free from the bondage of trying to earn God's love. And we can rest and know that we have it because we are free. We are free. About a month ago, <clears throat> I was dealing with some things in my life. And Sherry pointed some things out to me. And there were other things going on. And there was a restlessness in my soul. And I decided that I needed to go have an encounter with Jesus and when I do that, a lot of times I go to pick a wire because I can't get cell service there. And I'm not changing carriers, so I can. <laughs> I do it on purpose. And so I, go, I went there, and I read a lot of Scripture, and I spent a lot of time in prayer. And God revealed some very difficult things to me. Very difficult things. Some things in my life that I didn't even know that I had going on that were revealed to me. And I'm not going to share them with you, but I'm going to tell you that it was, it, was, it was difficult. I had, as I was confessing my sins before the Lord, there was a heaviness in my chest, a pain that I hadn't felt before. It wasn't a heart attack. It wasn't anything like that. 
It was a heaviness of sin crawling its way out of my body. And then I read some more scripture. And then as I pulled out to leave, I felt this overwhelming sense of peace. I told the Lord that I don't care if you take everything away from me. And maybe for the very first time in my life, I meant that when I said it. I said, if you would just take this burden that I'm carrying around with me away from me, I will give you everything. As I said, I was pulling out. As I was starting to head back, I was filled with this tremendous sense of peace. And I came back in time for Sherry and I to have lunch, and I told her, I said, I think for the very first time in my life, I'm free. I'm free. (laughs) And I'm not the same person since then. I don't really know exactly what all happened, but I had a moment with Christ to change me completely. My heart is free of the junk that I was holding inside secretly. And I tell you this because if I experience that and I'm dealing with those things, I know I'm not the only one. If there are things in your life that you're holding back, that you're afraid to reveal to the Lord because you don't know what He's going to do with it, give it to Him. Give it to Him. Confess everything to Him. Let Him reveal what is going on in your life. One thing I was holding that I didn't even know I had, and I'm just revealed this one to you, and I've already told Matt I'm sorry. I did not know that I was holding envy and jealousy of him in my heart. I didn't know that. Matt's one of my best friends. I, I can't believe that I was doing that, and yet I was. I don't tell you this because I want you to feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you that this is what was going on inside of me. And God freed me of that. God freed me of that. And I was free. And I'm still free. And I will be free because the promise of God is that if we cast our burdens upon Him, He will take them from us. So I tell you to cast your burdens upon Him. Give them to Him. And as we have seen so far this morning, Paul is wrapping up his teaching by reminding the Galatians of the things that he exhorted to them throughout the letter. His heart is not to admonish them, but to show them, but to show them what they are about to lose if they listen to these false teaching Judaizers. Paul spent a lot of time and effort bringing the gospel to these people, the good news to them. Progress was made and lives were changed for eternity. And he is not willing to let that work go to waste. He is fighting for their faith in Christ. He is doing the work of a pastor shepherd. He is protecting his people from the flock of wolves that are trying to get in the sheep pen. In these last two verses, this will bring an end to our study of Galatians. But it is in these last two verses that Paul releases the Galatians, to put all of the things that he has taught them into practice. So this is the final charge of Paul to the Galatians. Starting in verse 17, 
He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And when you read these two verses, they don't really seem to really go together. And in verse 17, Paul is basically telling the Galatians that as I've explained everything to you, I shouldn't ever have to go over this again. Now we as parents, we know that we tell our kids that over and over and over again. I shouldn't have to tell you not to stick your finger in the light socket or whatever. And yet, you turn your back and there they are again doing the same thing. But this is what Paul is telling the Galatians. We shouldn't have to go over this again. My authority to teach you comes from the scars that I bear on my own body as an obedient witness for Jesus. And if we don't remember what Paul has been through, let's read them again in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. This is what Paul writes. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul surely knew what it meant to carry the scars of the cross on his body. He doesn't need to continually teach the same basic truth that salvation only comes through the cross of Christ and by faith in Him alone. He desperately wants the Galatians to understand His teachings and to not compromise ever when smooth-talking wolves enter the scene. And the same is true for us. But then in verse 18, his farewell to the Galatians, he says this, and it seems simple, and it seems like a verse you can just pass over and not even read. But there is so much in it. Let's look at it. He says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. When you read that, it doesn't really sound like much, does it? But in reality, this is a big statement about his love for the Galatian churches. A tremendous farewell. In his last verse, he wishes these churches the, the undeserved gift of the Lord's grace to be with their spirit. This is a pastor's heart. Even when he gets frustrated and tired, all we want for our people is to experience the grace of God, the gift of Christ in their lives. It's what gets us up in the morning. It's what drives us to our knees in prayer for our stinky sheep. And before you get offended by that statement, remember I too am a stinky sheep. Before, and, and so then he ends his letter by calling the Galatians brothers. This is no small statement. 
all of the things that he has exhorted to them and even yelled at them about, their flighty nature and their ease to just follow false teachers and be moved back and forth, everything that he has given them, everything that he has frustrated with them, he still saw them as fellow believers in Christ. They were his brothers in Christ. He ends this letter with a statement of unity and not division. We as fellow believers, sometimes we can struggle in our relationship with one another and we can disagree on secondary issues, but in the end, what unites us together is the cross of Christ. That old rugged cross where Jesus hung to die. And the fact that our salvation comes through faith and the hope of Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul, remember, he wrote this in Galatians 2.21 as we close our study with this verse. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And we know that he died for a great purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just thank you again, Lord, for the study that we had in Galatians. And what a tremendous book Galatians is, Lord. What a tremendous study this has been. Not always easy, and yet great. Thank you, Lord, for this word. I pray, God, that we would always remember, Lord, in our own lives, that it is through the cross and the cross alone, through Christ alone, that we receive our salvation, that it is not any of our works that save us, Lord, but our works come out of joyful obedience to you after we become saved. Lord, I pray, God, if someone is here today and they're still struggling with this, Lord, if they're struggling with how to give their life to you, by trying to earn your favor by doing great things, I pray, God, that they would surrender those things to you and surrender their life to you and live in peace, live in freedom, live in the joy that you have for us, Lord, to live in that fantastic relationship united by the Spirit to you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.